Well, you ought to be awake now. That was a good set. I mean, you ought to be awakened to the truth of how powerful your God is and that he loves you very much. I hope you had a good week. Pretty good week? Starting to see signs of spring, right? Hopefully, it's supposed to be, it'll be nice today, warming up a little bit. And, and uh, good week at my house. Nick and I survived my girls being on mission this week. They were in Taiwan, and so he and I, we made it. We made it. I, I almost felt selfish for wanting them home. Every day when I would hear about just all the good stuff that's going on in Taiwan this last week, I'm, I'm begging you, keep praying for all the folks who are still over there. There is a lot of work still to be done. By the time this week is done, over, this, over these couple of weeks, more than 5,000 students will have heard the good news about Jesus. 5,000. So I'm asking you to pray. Um, there'll be a group who's also in Myanmar, you heard this week, and so are actually going into next week. Just, just really be lifting them up. There's such cool stuff going on. Our shelter, we have an orphanage in, in Myanmar, and just the coolest of things that, that, are, uh, that are happening in those parts of the world, God allowing us to be connected to it. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Four words. Once upon a time. Those four words are powerful. And they're powerful because we know what follows. A story. Once upon a time means it's time for a story. And the way I would phrase it is if, if food makes us alive, then stories for us are really what makes life worth living. The stories that we tell are how we make meaning of life. And if you are a Jesus follower, you've got a story to tell. You see, for those who follow Jesus, I want us to grasp this today. In every story of life change, there is power for life change. In every story of life change. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you got a story of life change. In every story of life change, there is the power for life change in others. Now, God is the only one who holds the power to change people's lives. It's God. It's not you. It's not me. But he does choose to display his power through your story. And that's what we see God doing all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Even in those first chapters, you, you get to Genesis chapter 12, and you read about a man named Abraham, and this is how God addresses him. I will make you into a great nation, and I will, what's the next word? Bless you. Abraham, I'm about to do something magnificent in your life. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a, what's the next word? Blessing. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. You are blessed 
to bless. And I'm telling you this morning that God has done the same for you. Life change in you. Would you call that blessing? Absolutely. The greatest. Life change in you, a blessing. And now through your story of life change, others can know life change. You are blessed to bless. I am blessed to bless. I believe that is the big picture behind what we've been looking at for several months now. What it means to live like you're loved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we learned that it's Christ's love that compels us. And he died for us so that we who live no longer live for ourselves. All right. Today, we've arrived at action point number five. To live like you're loved, today we are at action point number five, and this is simply it, share your story. Share your story. You have a story to share, and you have been blessed in order to bless. That's the picture. Now, a couple of things I want to just... uh, kind of nail down before we dive into the the, the scripture this morning, a couple of things I want you to, to, to realize, consider, take to heart. Here's the first one. Jesus did not use love as bait. Jesus didn't use love as bait. In other words, here's what I mean for us. We don't just love people so that they will be connected to Jesus. We love people because we have been connected to Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, our greatest desire is for them to come to know Jesus, to be connected to him, all right? Don't, don't hear me say that I don't think that is, is great priority, and that's not at the top of our hearts list. We want to see more people connected to Jesus. But please hear what I'm saying. We don't love people just to see them connected to Jesus. We love people because we are connected to Jesus. Whether or not they connect to Jesus doesn't change our love for people. Jesus doesn't use love for bait. Some of y'all are going to have to sit on that one for a little while. Second thing, we have been at this for five weeks now, what it means to live like you're loved. And share your story is the last. Sharing your story is the last of the five. That's on purpose. It's not to say it's not important, but the point is, if you and I are putting into action one through four, if we're doing things like setting our table and, and, and having meals with people in order to connect, if we're, if we're asking God to give us eyes that can see the needs of others, if we're putting them before ourselves, if we're serving people, if we're putting the first four into action, then the fifth one, you're going to find ample opportunity to jump all over this one, to share your story. Now, 
Some of you have heard this quote before. It's a quote by St. Francis that goes like this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Who's heard that quote before? Just curious. Yeah. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now, I'm saying I think that's a good quote. The reason it's a good, good quote is it reminds us that we are to live lives that put the gospel on display. We are to live lives. We are to love people. We are to serve people. We are to set the table. We are to live lives that put the gospel on display. But the quote is, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. My question is, how often is necessary? How often is necessary to use words if people are really going to hear the gospel? And the answer is, Always. I believe the answer is always. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you got to share your story the first three minutes you met somebody. That's not the point. It may be that you are going to spend some time building, building some connection, building some relationship. There may be some time that you're going to serve them. But I'm saying if they're going to hear the gospel, it is always necessary that you say it. How else will they hear? Them just seeing you be a good person is not the gospel. It's connected to the gospel. You love them because the gospel has changed you. By the way, you know what the gospel is? The scripture says that the gospel is that Jesus died for our sin, was buried, third day, arose. That's the gospel. Greatest news in the whole world. Jesus died for our sin, was buried, he arose. That's the gospel. We, by faith, have turned to him, and by his grace, he forgives us. He forgives us. And he gives us his goodness. That's what's happened in us. But in order for people to know that gospel, at some point, it has to be spoken. It's sort of like saying, feed the hungry at all times, and when necessary, use food. It's like, whoa, you got to use food. That's my point. It's not the gospel unless you have declared the gospel. The greatest blessing that you can give is to introduce people to the God who loves them just like he loves you. And the most natural way, the best opportunity to do that is to share your story. John chapter nine is where you need to be. John chapter nine, I'm gonna read some of this story to you. I invite you this week to go back and read the whole story. But I think this is a story that'll help you share your story. John chapter nine, I'm going to start with verse 1. We're going to skip a little bit, but you're going to get the gist of it. John chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. As he, that's Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. All right, now it's, it is bad enough to not be able to see, but to never be able to see. That's this man's story. His disciples asked him, <clears throat> Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, 
that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Some of my favorite words in this whole story are right at the beginning, Jesus saw a man blind. Because when I read those words, I, I am just, isn't that, Jesus is always got his eyes set on the hurting. If that's you here today, that, that should be some comforting stuff to your heart today. That what you're going through, you are not alone. What you're going through is not unknown. Jesus always has his eyes set on the hurting. But the disciples have a question about that hurting. Jesus, this man's blind. So who sinned? Was it him who sinned that made him blind? Or was it his parents who sinned that made him blind? Now, that question just reveals a fundamental misunderstanding about who God is and how he works. Because they assume that God is is one who sits at a distance and he's just watching, he's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can jump on that opportunity and punish. A God of retribution. That's why they're asking the question. If he's blind, he must have done something bad. Or his parents did something bad. And God saw them do something bad, and God inflicted this punishment on them. Jesus, Jesus puts on skin, and he steps into the neighborhood, and he says, I want to rehabilitate your view of God. Because the God that you need to know is not a God fundamentally about retribution. He is a God of restoration. And then Jesus spits. You got to love the Bible. Jesus spits. Some of you got boys like me who like to follow Jesus, right? Spits. Jesus spits on the ground, spits in the dirt, And it says that he makes some mud out of that, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. Now, I think it's hilarious that we don't get any of the small talk around that action. Right? I just think it's funny. I don't know. Surely there was something like, hey, is it okay if I spit on you? Right? It's like... Is it okay? It's like Jesus doesn't ask here. He just spits on the ground, makes some mud, and puts the stuff on the guy's eyes. Now, apparently they believed in that day that saliva had medicinal qualities, all right? Now, your mama always thought it had cleansing qualities, right? Because she's always licking and cleaning something. They believed, though, that it had medicinal qualities 
And if it's divine saliva, then apparently it does. This is holy spit we're dealing with here, right? (laughs) So he puts it on the man's eyes, sends him to the pool, and John was very clear to tell you, what does the pool mean? Sent. Sent. Here is Jesus. He says in this text, the one who is sent to do the work of the one who sent him, and now he is sending. And when the man goes and washes in the pool, he can see. And he's never been able to see before. I find myself at these kind of moments in Scripture, I, I will suddenly lose track of, of reading what I'm reading because I'm suddenly in my head, I'm, I'm going, here's a guy who's never seen his family. And for the first time in his life, he just laid eyes on his family. Here's a guy who's never seen a sunrise, right? Some of y'all maybe never seen the sunrise, right? But he's seen the sunrise for the first time. And just the wow factor of everything he sees. I can remember as a kid when I got glasses for the first time. And, and I didn't know that you could see like leaves on the tree. I didn't know you could see like a screen door and how that. Now, I remember the wow factor. I could already sort of see. I just couldn't see in detail. But to not be able to see and suddenly he can see everything. But the people around him can't seem to believe it. It's like, well, we're not sure this is him because the, the him we know, he, he's always been blind. We, we're not really sure that this is the guy. And so they take him before a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And what you need to know about the Pharisees is that they were serious. They were seriously uptight about religious stuff. And Jesus had very little patience with the Pharisees. Very little. Still does. Let's skip to verse 13. Watch what happens here. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Here we go. Here we go. Hang on, I'll come back. Verse 15. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Now personally, I think maybe The way that reads is, the man replied, he's a prophet? I think that that really is possible. Considering how the rest of the story, he's not really sure yet who Jesus is. Maybe, Maybe he's a prophet. He doesn't know. Here's what we do know. The Pharisees miss the miracle for the mud. Because it happened on what day? The Sabbath day. You know what the Sabbath day is? Sabbath day was a day that God had set apart. It's called the day that is holy, means it is set apart for rest. For rest. It was a day that God's people were together and they, they would worship and they would rest. It was a day on which they were not supposed to work. 
Some of y'all need to know that God didn't design you to go seven straight days every week working. You are supposed to rest. And you will be better at the other six if you will rest on the one. I know that you are the exception to the rule, but I'm going with God on this one. Rest. Some of you just need to hear that. You need to take some time to rest. Well, these guys were so serious. The Pharisees were so serious about guarding those kinds of laws that God put in place. That, that literally, if God says, okay, there is to be a Sabbath day, all right, here's the line. You're supposed to rest every seven days. They are going to take ten steps backwards and draw another line. Because they don't want to cross the line. Because remember, God's watching just waiting for somebody to mess up, just, just waiting for somebody to punish. We don't want to cross God's line, so we're going to back up 10 steps. We'll make our own line, and that way, if we don't cross this line, then we won't cross God's line. The only problem with that was the Pharisees not only held that for themselves, but then they started putting that burden on everybody else, and nobody else was allowed to cross their line either. Does that make sense? So the law was, back here, you can't spit on the ground and rub it with your foot. No, really. You can't, can't spit and rub it with your foot. That'd be work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, if Jesus spits on the ground, takes time to make mud out of it, and puts it on a guy's eyes, that's a whole lot more effort than spitting on the ground and just rubbing it with your foot. Jesus, you crossed the line. You must be a sinner. That's the argument. Now, as silly as that sounds, I'm pretty sure that in a room this size, there are some of you who have wounds from religious people who have inflicted imposed their rules on you. And I'm sorry. I am. I, I'm going to tell you, it probably won't be the last time you experience that in your lifetime. Because people have a way of being introduced to a God who loves, and yet very quickly, instead of continuing to trust in what, that they will create a system to try to stay right with him I'm saying it, there, there are moments it's going to happen. The, 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 you're going to have wounds from this. They can't keep you from the heart of God, so don't let them. Don't let them. Yes, God has rules, but he has rules because he knows what's good for us and because he loves us. Why does God say let there be a Sabbath day? Because he wants you to rest. Because he loves you. They still can't figure out how to reconcile this whole thing. Jesus has got to be a sinner because he's working on the Sabbath day. But at the same time, sinners can't do miracles. So how do he pull that deal off? And so they're really divided. They call in the man's parents. And the parents are quick to realize that if they associate with Jesus, that means they get kicked out. They are off the team, all right? And so they basically say, you know what, talk to our son. He's a grown man. Some of y'all have had to do the same thing at moments, right? Got to talk to him. He's a, he's a grown man. Here's what happens, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. 
Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. Doesn't that sound very spiritual? Doesn't it? Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He's getting a little more bold, isn't he? I would submit he can see now. Seriously, he knows where they're coming from, and if need be, he could run for the first time in his life, right? The options are, 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 are bigger than they were before. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. In other words, they believed the same thing that the disciples were asking. They thought this guy was in the condition he was in because of his sin. They kick him out, and yet he's the only one who can see. I would, I would say to you that I've seen that happen more than once, where people got kicked out, and they were kind of the only ones that could actually see. It happens. So if it's ever happened to you, you're not alone. Jesus is not finished with this guy, though. He's not finished with this guy. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Just short of a hundred times, it was like 98 times in the Gospel of John, John uses the word believe. Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, remember what I told you last week or a week or so ago? The Son of Man was that, was that phrase that came out of Daniel. And everybody who, who, who was grown up in the, in, in the you know, Jewish faith, they, they knew Daniel. They knew the story. They knew they were looking for the Son of Man who would come. And this was the phrase that Jesus often used. He's, Jesus is saying, do you believe? Do you, do you believe that the Son of Man is going to come? And this guy's like, yeah, you just show him to me. And how cool is it that for the first time in his life, the f I guess we would say the man actually saw with these eyes and with his heart. He believes. 
and his life has changed. And here we are, 2,000 years later, telling his story so that our lives can be changed. What was the statement? What was the statement? In every story of life change, there is power for life change. It was true for that man who was blind, and it's true for us today. It's like, all right, so how does that story supposed to help me? Well, I'm going to take you back to one phrase, one phrase, verse 25. The man replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I once was, but now. This is the way it used to be, and this is the way it is now. And, and I'm saying to you today, I, that is the pattern that I would encourage you to follow as God gives you daily opportunity to share your story. I'm just going to roll through a few questions here. I, you don't have to feel like you got to get all these questions in every time you're talking to somebody. But I'm saying when you share your story, this is the kind of thing you're sharing with them. Like this. What was your life like before following Jesus? What was it like? What were you living for before you met Jesus? How did you see the world before you met Jesus? What was it that controlled you before you met Jesus? Some of you got some crazy stories about what owned your life and almost killed you before you met Jesus. Some of you have some heartbreaking stuff of decisions that either you made or that were made toward you and the hurt that you experienced and the loneliness that you went through. You got a story of what it was like before you met Jesus. That's a part of your story to tell. It's like, whoa, Jeff. I was eight. So, like, I hadn't robbed any banks, hadn't done any drugs yet. I was eight. I understand, but. How, did, how did, did you really? Let me put it this way. Once you saw who Jesus really is and how he loved you, there really was a difference that's still in how you saw the world before and after. You're not going to hang out as long on this one as somebody maybe who, who had been through some, some, some what we would call crazy hurts, I suppose, but there's still a difference that happens in you when the light comes on and you see who Jesus is even if you're eight. Because at least you knew you had rebelled against God. You knew you had. Okay, it was disobeying your parents. It wasn't, you know, something that you would consider to be more. But, but disobeying your parents, sin separates you from God. You, you, you knew it even then. You knew that sin separated you from God. You knew there was a difference. Another question, who told you about Jesus? Who told you about Jesus? 
Because this is your opportunity to say, just like somebody loved me and told me the greatest truth in the world, that's what I'm doing for you today because I care about you and I want you to know the greatest, greatest love that there is. So who told you about it? Maybe for some of you it was parents, some of you it was another family member, it was a teacher, a coach, or whatever. Who was it that told you, take the opportunity to just mention it in order to say, that's what I'm doing for you. Third question, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? There are two parts to that. One, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, you believe that Jesus really is God. He is the Son of God, the sinless sacrifice. He really did die for my sin. He arose from the dead. And when I asked him by faith, he took my sin. And he gave me his goodness so that I could be right with God. That's what you believe about him. But don't just stop there, because what does it mean to believe? When John uses the word believe some 98 times in the gospel, we know that believe is not just a mental assent. Believe is not just believing who Jesus is, because the scripture makes it clear even the demons believe that. They know who he is. Even the demons know the truth about who he is. So what does it mean to believe? And I'm saying on, on many occasions when you are visiting with someone, talking with someone, the, I, for me, one of the greatest illustrations is right there under you because lots of times you're sitting in a chair. And it's just one of the simplest ways to describe what it means to believe in Jesus means to put all of the weight of your life on him. You entrust it to him. I can believe that a chair will hold me. But the belief in the Bible is when I sit in the chair. That's the difference. And so you can actually say that. You can actually describe. This is what it means. Yes, there, there, maybe there was a long time that you were aware of who Jesus was, but the change happened in your life when you actually laid it all down like we sang about earlier. And you entrusted your life to him. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And then one more question. How has your life changed as a result of knowing Jesus? How has your life changed as a result of knowing Jesus? Yes, your life should have changed, but it also should still be changing. And this is the part where if this is going on, you don't have to worry about filling time by describing what your life was like as an eight-year-old before you met Jesus. Sometimes our entire story that we tend to tell is anchored solely in the chaotic moments of our life. So for some, that chaos existed way back here before I met Jesus, and I've got these three things that were going on, and this is how terrible it was, and, and, da, da, da. and so we tell that much of the story, and then we tell about meeting Jesus, and then maybe we've got something. Maybe there was a time that, that we were going through sickness, and, and we asked God to help us, and he really did. You know, maybe there are a couple of moments, and that tends to be what 
That's how people tell their story. I describe it as sort of like you're trying to cross a creek and there are only so many stones and you kind of got to jump from, from stone to stone and the stones are like the big chaotic moments that something terrible is going to happen if God doesn't intervene, but he intervened. And that's our story. And I'm saying, don't forget. Don't ever forget about the rocks. Don't ever forget about those moments. But what has God done for you lately? What did God do in you yesterday? If you don't have anything new that God has done in you in this month, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you can't tell me something that God's done in you in March, like, what does that mean? Now, I'm saying, okay, maybe, you know, you weren't sick and, and he didn't, you know, heal you of something. Um, I, I, you, in other words, we go, well, yeah, but there was nothing huge. See, I'm, that's what I'm saying. We tend to only mark our story by these huge moments where we actually recognize we need God. We call out to God and we recognize he helps us. I'm saying there is so much Ordinary stuff in every ordinary day, ordinary week, ordinary month, that if you will lock in and acknowledge God's presence with you, you will constantly be able to share about what God's still changing in you, showing in you. And when you tell your story, don't underestimate the power of the ordinary. Because if you're sharing your story with me, I want to hear about a God who really is with me always. He really does love me every moment of every day and the kind of God that walks out Thursdays with me. Thursday? Yeah. Just a day of the week? No. A day of walking with Jesus. So that's your story. What was your life like before you met him? Who told you about him? What does it mean to believe? And how has your life changed as a result? Again, please don't take 20 minutes to tell your story every time you tell it to somebody. Now there may be some moments where 20 minutes works because you've, you've gotten to know them and you, you got a friendship developed, and you're having dinner together, and it's a perfect, perfect moment for you at some point to be able to share your story. And you got time. You can do that. But I, I'm saying this week, this is not about, go, don't go knock on some door or somebody you don't know and spend 20 minutes telling them your story. That's not what I'm, that's not. I'm saying, as you're loving, as you're serving, you're going to have opportunity to share. Sometimes it might be two minutes you got. Sometimes it might be 20. But come on. Let's share. One more question. Um, actually, let me tell you this first. I heard this story this week about a guy by the name of Charles Peace. He was um, one of the most famous burglars of all time. All time. Lived in the late 1800s. 
and uh, just read an interesting excerpt on the day that he was being executed, um, because he was found guilty of a lot of crimes, um, some of them really serious, like murder. I mean, he, he was just well known. On the day of his execution, he was being ex- es- escorted on his death walk, you would say, by the prison chaplain. And the prison chaplain was reading out loud some things pertaining to the eternal, okay? Which if you hadn't thought about it before, I suppose this is a good time to think about it, right? And Charles Peace burst out with these words. Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God said that you believe, even if England, he was from, he was English, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. And I read those words thinking, here's a guy that, as far as I know, didn't believe. But he recognized that to believe should be something different. What if you don't have a story? What if you don't have a story here today? I mean, you could tell me maybe about a time you were baptized or maybe you could tell me a time that you went through um, confirmation or um, maybe you could tell me about how you always grew up in church. But I'm saying, when did you believe? Not not just here, but with your life. So I'm going to pray here in just a second. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to just meet with our God. And I want to offer the opportunity for you today. Um, There are going to be some folks right over here on this side of the room that if you're here today and you have never, ever believed, I want to encourage you to take a step that direction and let somebody there just just very quickly show you how Jesus has made it possible for you to today believe. Or maybe um, you have believed for a long time, but you look at the evidence in your life. In fact, you might not be able to tell me the last time you shared your story. I'm saying, come on, be honest about that with God. Ask him what the deal is. What, what is going on in your heart? I, I'm saying invitation, step that direction. There'll be some people who there, they're not going to push you down. They're, they're going to pray with you. They're, they're going to, they're going to just do everything that they can to encourage you to, to meet with God and ask him to change that heart in you. Or maybe you're here and you've known him for a long time. And you share your story. Like maybe you've even shared your story with people like the same person for multiple times and nobody's believed yet. And it's like, well, I would encourage you to take a step that direction and let some folks join with you in praying that eyes will be open and that the blind could see. So I'll pray. We'll sing. I invite you to move with him today. Let's pray. God. 
I thank you for our most remarkable story. It, it really does blow my mind. 2,000 years ago, here's a guy, couldn't see. <laughs> and not only did you give him physical eyes that could see, but you turned the light on in his heart that he could see who Jesus is, how you love him. And on that day, that man's story changed forever. God, I pray for folks who may be here today who don't have that story. God, they've never believed. I'm asking you to give them courage today to call out to you and to know there really can be connection with you, the God who has made us and loves us. God, I pray for your kids who maybe know you, but they haven't shared their story. God, I'm asking you to help us to be honest about whatever that stuff is, whatever's holding us back, whatever's got us distracted. God, I'm asking you to help us that you would change our heart. And then, God, I pray for those who, who are fighting forward with sharing their story. God, may eyes be open. God, would you do in us what needs to happen right now as we meet with you. God, right now as you speak, help us to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood, perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my side, angels descend.
I just want to kind of bring this together for us because we're wrapping up this series today. And um, our desire is to live like we're loved. Our desire is to live like a people who are truly loved by Jesus. Knowing that we have been blessed in such a way that we are to bless others. So here's where we've walked. Anybody remember the first one? We begin with prayer. God, will you change me? God, will you show me? God, will you use me? Nothing happens without God's power that begins in prayer. Week two was listen to needs. God, give me eyes that can see that I'm just looking at me, but I'm seeing the needs of others around me just like you see them. Week three, eat. We like that one. Eat with others. We set a table, we spend some time, it's because real change always comes through connection. Week four was to serve. God calls me to move toward the mess. And today we wrap it up, share your story. You are blessed to bless. I think we have a way of saying, God, I so wish I could be a blessing. Then set the table. God, I so wish I could be a blessing in people's lives. Then pray. God, God I, I so wish that, that God, you've blessed me. I, I really wish that that could be poured out in, into others. Then start listening for needs and serve and just open your heart and your mouth and share your story. I couldn't get away from that quote by that guy. If we really believe that eternity is what we say it is, we would not be as afraid of failing in sharing our story as we would be of failing not to share it. Heaven is real and hell is real. Jesus is real. And he loves you. Heart of life, live like you're loved. A people blessed to bless. Let's sing it. Mm -hmm. 